Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We've been speaking about the life of David, this amazing king. And today, I want to speak to you kind of on a, on a broad scale from some of the major themes that I see in his life that I believe if we integrate into our lives, they will produce godliness, they will establish strength in our lives, that they'll produce healthy families. And so today I want to talk to you from the principle, principles of personal leadership that we see from David's life. I really have this conviction that we as Christians need to be more than churchgoers. We need to be more than good people. We need to be leaders, which means we're not afraid to stand out, which means we're not afraid to go against the grain, go against the crowd, which means that we have convictions set in stone by the word of God, that it's what we build our lives and our family and our future on. And so there really is no better leader to look at in the Old Testament than David. He was a strong man. He was a godly man. He was a picture of a, a prefigure of Jesus Christ, but he's a picture of a New Testament believer, you and me. And so you just see leadership all throughout his life. And, um, and today, I want to talk to you about some of these principles that cultivate godly leadership and establish a healthy, godly life. Amen? You could, you could, you could sum it up like this. Today, I want to talk about leadership that God loves. This is leadership that God loves. There's lots of different kinds of leadership out there. There's lots of different uh, 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 things that uh, people would celebrate as leadership, career-oriented and money and, and influence and all this stuff, but this is the kind of leadership that God's looking for. Amen? Let, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, right now, we give you this moment. We thank you, God, that you are part of this church. We thank you, God, that you are leading this church and growing it. And so, Jesus, we just pray that you're honored in this place, honored in our minds, our lives, and in our families. In Jesus' name, come on, everyone says, Amen. 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 You ready for the word of God this morning? You are ready. I know you are ready to worship. I could hear everyone worshiping. So I hope I hear everyone saying amen. Let's. <laughs> the, church is, uh, the church is growing. The church is becoming healthier and healthier. You know, the church is being involved in so many different areas. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this church. I'm thankful for the people in this church. I'm thankful every Sunday. I couldn't wait to get back to church uh, this morning, and so, so it's, it's, it's so good to be with God's people. Three principles of personal leadership from the life of David. Three principles of personal leadership from the life of David. The first Thing that I see in David's life that I, I believe we should apply to our lives is this fact that he was unoffendable. First principle is to become unoffendable. This guy went through everything that you could describe as hardships, betrayed by almost everyone in his life. He went through very, very difficult things. Some of the ones we've talked about already. When Samuel, the greatest prophet of Israel, comes to town, this huge celebration, the city elders, the family, David's father, purposefully sort of, forgets David. He overlooks. Have you ever felt overlooked by people in your life that are important to you? David can say, I'm right there. My dad wouldn't even come and get me in the most important thing that's ever happened in our little town. 
And amazingly, God brings Samuel for David. He's overlooked, even though he's he's the purpose of the visit, overlooked by his fathers. And then then he's mocked by his brothers, even after they know he's anointed. They were there. But when he comes and, and, and starts saying about Goliath, saying, hey, this isn't right, instantly his brothers start making fun of him, start mocking him, start trying to put him down. Have you ever felt like members of your own family don't get kind of who you are and what you believe and try and mock what, what you're trying to do with your life or put you down or cast it aside? And they tried to minimize him. So, so, so we, we see his father, we see his brothers, and we, you know the time where his wife looked down on him from the windowsill and he was dancing in the presence of God and she was mortified by him. And you remember the time that Saul, his king, his governor, his leader, is so angry at him, he's throwing spears at him, not once, not twice, but three times. This is a pattern of assault coming at this young man. This was, this was serious. And if you look, you see through all, these, all of these instances, you see a lot, of, a lot of room for there to be offense. A lot of room. In fact, many times when we get offended, it comes from from people um, that are closest to us, his father, his brothers, the king that he loved, his own wife, his son when he rose up and turned on him. Here are those that are supposed to be closest to us that are wounding him the most. And that really is how offense works. You're not offended by someone you've never met. You're not really offended by someone that leaves a negative comment on your profile. It might annoy you, but it doesn't offend you because there's not the depth of relationship there. But it's those that are closest to you that can cut you the deepest. And we find in David's life that he was hurt. And we find that in our lives. Many of those that have hurt you the most are those that are closest to you and because there's so much more opportunity for offense. The more you talk, the more you do things together, you're in business together, you're working on something together, you're in church together, you're building a family or a home together, there's a lot of opportunity for there to be miscommunication, for there to be uh, shortcomings, failures, hurt, and offense. And, and here's the thing, hurt happens, but offense is chosen. Hurt happens, but offense, I would almost say, has to be cultivated. Offense is chosen, and offense is continually chosen. It's chosen again and again and again until it grows and many times gets out of control. To be hurt is to be human, but to forgive is to be godly. Forgiveness is the way out of offense. And forgiveness is acknowledging that this person that hurt you is human, and they're also hurt, but I'm going to not be like you were to me. I'm not going to become you. I want to be like Jesus. Forgive them. I want to be like Jesus. And what that does is it unlocks me. It, 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 it removes offense, bitterness, poison from my heart. Whether you say you're sorry or not, whether you have a change of heart or not, how many times have you forgiven someone but you're really hoping that there's some sort of curse that's on their life? You check back that Facebook page every three, four months. How are they doing? Are they destroyed yet? When you forgive, you not, when you forgive, part of forgiving is moving on. It's moving on. Why? Because the thing that keeps you tethered back there, that, that's a string of offense. 
You can't stop hurt, but you can choose to not cultivate offense in your life. Offense is like an infection. And, and see, what happens is um, when you get infected in, in an area of your life, when an infection comes in, here's, what, here's how infection works. Infection enters through a wound. There has to be hurt first. And then if it's unaddressed and uncared for, that infection, that wound can get infinitely worse. It can grow. Infection, uh, offense is like an infection. It's an infection, though, of the heart. And just like there's signs of infection, there's signs around the skin, there's, there's ways that your body would present that you are infected, so there are signs of offense in your heart. Offense comes out through your mouth. You start talking differently about that person or that situation or just in general. Offense shows itself in the patterns of your thought. Have you ever been shocked by a thought that you have? You think some, you say, whoa, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Well, maybe it's coming from a place deep down that you're cultivating offense. And now offense grows up into violence. It grows up into anger. It grows up into hatred. It grows up into a desire for destruction. Uh, uh, offense will present itself out of its mouth, where, where out of your mouth, where, where all of a sudden now you're passive aggressive. There's no amens on that. <laughs> now you're passive aggressive. Now you're always negative about this person or that subject. You got nothing good to say. You're cold or you're distant. What is that? That's offense. An infection that got into your heart that now is presenting through your mouth, through your thoughts, or through your actions. And hear me, if you don't clean the wound, it's the only way to get rid of infection. You have to clean the wound. If there isn't healing, eventually infection, if unaddressed, always leads to a severed connection. If an infection in your arm or your leg gets bad enough, eventually there has to be an amputation in order to save the rest of the body. And you know, that's how offense really works. It could start so small, but if you do not address it, if you don't let the Holy Spirit clean it, clean it through worship, clean it through the word, clean it through forgiving, even if you don't feel like it, I gotta do it, because if I don't, there's gonna be a severed connection there. There's gonna, there's gonna be an amputation there. You have to, hear me, when, you're, when you become offended, you have to acknowledge right then, I'm willing to lose this relationship. I'm willing to lose, I'm willing to lose my marriage. I'm willing to lose my church. I'm willing to lose my career. I'm willing to lose my children. You have to, you have to acknowledge that now. You say, that's not, I'm just, I'm just hurt. I'm just frustrated, that's not what it is. But hear me, that's what it will be. You have to, right away, early on, I gotta clean it because I don't want there to be an amputation. I've seen so many people leave a life-giving church or leave a marriage, and when you ask them later on what happened, you talk to them, you catch back up, they can't remember what caused it. I'll tell you what caused it. It was a wound that was unaddressed, it was uncleansed, it was unhealed, and infection took root. You can't even remember the wound. But it wasn't really the wound, it was the infection left unaddressed. What's amazing about David is this man had every opportunity to be offended with everyone around him. And yet he chose over and over to not let his hurt grow into offense. He chose. And this is 
my point, that you must choose to become unoffendable. That doesn't mean you're not hurt. That doesn't mean that doesn't sting. That doesn't mean that it's not difficult to forgive. But I am saying there is a point where you get involved here and you say, I do not want my connection severed with that person. I do not want my heart to grow cold to that person. I remember one time I was having a, um, an, an elevated conversation with my wife, a, a conversation of feud-like proportions. And I remember we were driving and she said something, and I know she didn't even mean for it to, to hurt as much as it did, but you know, it all gets mixed up and you know, guys are, are very sensitive, way more sensitive than, than they pretend they are. And, uh, and I remember when she said this thing, it, it hurt me. And I felt a coldness come over my heart and start descending. And I had a split second where I could get this thing out I knew as it was happening, I had a choice to reject this, to say, hey, that, what did you mean by that? That hurts. Or I had the moment where I could accept it and swallow this coldness, this hurt. And at that moment, I swallowed it and I let it go down deep and I, I felt my heart get hardened towards my wife. The next few days, we were in constant disagreements. A week later, two weeks later, there was passive aggressiveness. We weren't on the same page. I had almost even forgotten the root cause. We just couldn't figure out what is going on with us. One night after a date night on a Friday night, we're pulling into the house and it, the date did not go well. <laughs> and she says, what, what is wrong with you? And I said, how long do you have? She said, what is wrong with you? I said, I, I don't know. And, and all of a sudden, like the Holy Spirit reminded me, you let your heart get cold. You got offended. You stayed offended, you've replayed the conversation, you kept going over the phrase that she said to you, and your heart has grown cold towards your, your own wife. And if I did not address it, eventually that chasm would grow. We'd be, off, uh, we'd be on different pages for months and years until all of a sudden we say, we're just not in love anymore. No, 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 that's not the issue. You didn't randomly grow separated, it goes to a moment where you chose to allow offense coldness to go in your, and harden your heart towards the one that you love. And so in that moment, I had to, I had to become vulnerable, and I had to say, babe, you really hurt my feelings. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and as kind of embarrassing as it was, far more embarrassing now even than then, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was important. It was important because the enemy can't have a narrow little sliver of your heart. You have to get that thing out and you have to let the Holy Spirit cleanse, wash the wound, dress the wound, and allow healing to come in that wound. And I, I even wanna say this, some of you have gone through very, very difficult things and you say, well, it's still sensitive in that area and, and there's still a scar in that area. Well, a scar, is evidence of something that happened that's healed. So even if it's sensitive, and even if it shows that there was pain there, at least it's not actively infected. The goal is to get on the healing process, but uh, hear me, part of that is your choice. God will heal you, you gotta ask for it. You gotta submit yourself, you gotta have some tough conversations. You have to choose, like David chose, I'm not gonna be offended. It's amazing, later on, when he's on the run, and he's running from Saul. Do you know who comes to his aid? His father 
and his brothers, the people who, got, who, who the enemy wanted to separate from David early, now later on when he's in real trouble, he needed them. And his family came to him. Can you imagine if he said, hey, I don't want you here. Hey, I don't need you here. It, he would have not had the strength that he needed in a difficult trial. But because he chose to not be offended, God could bring strength to strength in difficult times. Because he chose to not be offended with Saul. So much so that even though Saul did crazy stuff, God was able to take what was Saul's and give it to David. God could do that because David was a principled man. I'm saying this to say there might even be people in your life, governors, and there might even be people in your life, uh, 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 rulers and authorities that have hurt you and you could turn your back on. But, but hear me, if you can be principled, I believe God one day could even give you a portion of what was theirs. I say that, I say that to say there will always be justification for retaliation. You have to choose to forgive and let God work it however he wants to work it. And we know that God works all things together for your good, right? But I, I gotta let God deal with that governor. I gotta let God deal with that ruler. I gotta let God deal with that boss. I gotta let God deal with Saul. David could have said, I'm supposed to be king. I'll handle this. You throw a spear, I'll throw a spear. Actually, let me get my slingshot. David could have handled it, but he said, no, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to, I'm going to move on here, but I want to say this. There will always be justification for retaliation. There will always be justification because wounds are real and, and hurts are real. So you can always find a way not to forgive. You can always find a way to stay hurt. In fact, you could always even find a way to find, you, you can always find people around you that will agree with you that that's the right thing to stay angry. You can build a case in your mind like you are a top-level lawyer on all the reasons that that text was messed up. <laughs> but it only leads to offense. You can have retaliation or you can go the way of salvation. And the way of salvation says this, Jesus saying in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven our debtors. And the Amplified Version says this, letting go of both the wrong and the resentment. I'm going to let go of both the wrong that was done me and the resentment that it wants to produce in me. I want to encourage you today. If you could, if you could put this as a pillar in your life to say, I'm going to, I'm going to try and become unoffendable, and you choose and said, I'm going to choose grace on top of grace on top of grace. I'm going to choose forgiveness on top of forgiveness. I believe that God now can forgive you can rain down forgiveness on you, and he can trust you, and he can elevate you, and he can bless you. But God, I believe God will have a difficult time pouring out his blessings on people who are angry and hurt and bitter with everyone around them. God says, no, I can't bless that. But when you begin to say, no, Lord, I want to be unoffendable before you, I want to be a forgiver before you. Now God says, now this is someone that I can trust and we can work with. The next principle we see in the life of David, this is a major theme throughout his life, is that David was God-reliant. I hope you can become God-reliant. Read the Psalms. Do you know David wrote over 70 Psalms? What an amazing um, man that was able to pour out his heart about the splendor of God. And, and if you read these Psalms that David wrote, 
you find something very quickly is that they are all about God's grandeur and God's goodness and God's strength over and over. I mean, the most famous psalm is, starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that is my overwatch. He is the one that's caring for me and guiding me. The, the Lord is for me. What, what, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm God-reliant. The Lord is my shepherd. If you read Psalm 18, this is an amazing psalm. Look at what it says in, in Psalm 18, verse 2. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He goes on. He says, the Lord is my shield, the horn of my salvation, and my stronghold. This is a man that was God-reliant. I know who my God is. He's my rock that takes out Goliath. He's my fortress and my defender. He is the one in whom I take uh, refuge. He is my shield. Do we talk about God this way? Do we think about God this way? That if God is for me, who could be against me? Why? Because God is my shield. He is my defender. He knows me. He's for me. I mean, this is so countercultural to how people believe and think today. We think, well, the world is against me and it's really tough out there and, and I'm a victim and I'm oppressed, but you don't see that in David's life. You see David say, yeah, but I serve God. He's my rock, he's my shield, he's my sword, he's my defender. What is, what is he doing? He's looking at life from heaven's perspective. As a Christian, this is what you must do. You must look at life. You say, well, my life's got problems. Everybody, life is problems. Life is suffering, life is difficult. But if you could look at it from heaven's perspective, you could see that the problems don't identify you. The suffering is not your lot in life. That the difficulties are not there to destroy you. With God, they're gonna build you. They're gonna strengthen you. That God's going to be your shield, and then you're going to see when that arrow hits the shield, you're going to say, that was God. That was meant for me. And I jumped right in front of the arrow. Thank God the shield came. What am I saying? I'm saying we as people need to be God-reliant. We live in a society that is anything but God-reliant. It's self-reliant. It's economically reliant. It's government reliant. It's reliant on every other thing except God. But if you could get heaven's perspective... I'm telling you, it would make you think differently, it would make you speak differently, it would make you believe differently, it would make you act differently. People say, where do you get your boldness? Where do you get your strength? Where do you get that go-get-it nature? God's got my back. So Goliath falls. I don't know how, but he's gonna fall. I know this is different than what you hear on the news. I know this is different than what you hear from your friends. But what I'm trying to show you is there was a man that lived before us that was one of the greatest leaders to ever live, and he talked with faith and strength because he knew the God he served. Hear me, as Christians, we have to live from heaven's perspective, not from the perspective of the problems of life. We live from eternity downward. Look, this was David's approach. David's approach was always God first. It was God first. What does God think about this? What does God want to do through this? What's God trying to show me through this? What God's trying to build me? Where's God trying to take me through this? You need to get the mind of God, the perspective of God. I was showing my father-in-law some photos that I had taken, and, and he's a, a great photographer, and he's a great designer, um, and uh, my wife got all his skills, but I dabble, and I'm, 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 I've been taking some photos, and, and, uh, and I was showing it to him, and, and, and he's, a, he's a great um, graphic designer, and he was showing me how to post 
edit the, video, uh, the, the photos and everything. And, and there was an area where the light was coming through. It was way too overexposed, and I couldn't get it to not ruin the shot. You know what he said to me? He said, you know, we could do a lot of post-editing and try and fix the problem, but the problem is when you captured the photo. It's almost nothing you could do when it's that bad of a photo. <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, you gotta get the right filter. You gotta get a polarized lens that will capture exactly what the light looks like, but, but stop the overexposure for coming through. So you can capture everything, but the light doesn't blow out the photo. He says, you need to put a good lens on this thing so that you can capture what's happening as it's happening. Otherwise, when it comes and you're trying to fix it in post, it's far more difficult. Get it right, right when you capture it. And I was thinking about that as, as from, from heaven's perspective. You need to get a filter, the filter of God's mind, the filter of God's word, the filter of the way God would approach this thing and put it over your mind as things are happening. So we don't have to fail and go back and say, what went wrong over and over and over? But as it's happening, I'm going I'm to take in what's happening through the filter of God. I'm God-reliant. So what you're saying to me is not ultimate truth. It's just your opinion. But if it filters through, what, what does God's truth say, though? All of a sudden, I might get a different perspective as it's happening. I might have a different reply as it's happening. Why? Because I've got a heavenly filter before my mind, before my heart, before my life. This is how you engage this filter. You can ask yourself these questions as life is going on, as difficulties, as trials are going on. You can engage this filter. You can ask yourself questions like this. What would God think of this? What would God think of this? Anyone saying something or difficult things going on in your life, you could say, hold on, what, what would God think of this? You could say, would God's word agree with this? There's a lot of things going on in our lives right now that the word of God would disagree with. Therefore, you should disagree with it. What would the filter of God's word say about this ideology? What would the filter of God's word say about this lie that's being spoken over my life? Here's another question. What would God have me do in this situation? knowing that he loves me and he's for me. What would God have me do in this situation, knowing that he loves me and he's for me? I believe as you are able to get these questions operating in your daily life, you're gonna be able to respond differently, you're gonna be able to live differently, and you're gonna live from the perspective of God, not from your flesh, not from your emotions, not from what society is doing, not from what all your friends are doing, but from what God would have you do, and that will lead you to a blessed life. Does that make sense? I've, I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll say it again. I remember one time when I was working as an intern, I was working at another church, and, and I, um, I was, it was my first day on the job, and I was in this, uh, uh, called into the office for the, custodi the guy that was over all the custodians there, and uh, he started asking me all these questions. Apparently, I did everything wrong, and I'm the worst person to ever live and walk the face of the earth. And he was really, the, the, the conversation got worse and worse where he was berating me. I mean, it got pretty horrible. The stuff he's saying, there's my good friend, intern in the room. I look over to him for some help, like, hey, is this crazy? And he looks at me and just looks down. And I'm like, oh, I am on my own. And I remember as this guy's telling me all this stuff, and, and really, it was really, uh, let's say ungodly, you know? I remember hearing the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, would your father talk to you like this? I worked for Pastor Mike for many years taking care of these church facilities. 
which was not an easy job, but I was not an easy person to manage, so. I, I, I remember the Holy Spirit saying, did Pastor Mike ever talk to you like this? And I remember saying, heck no. You know, I'm grateful that I had godly leaders in my life that showed how God spoke, and it became a filter for me. So when I heard ungodly sp- leadership, when I heard things being spoken to me that was not of God, I could filter it by saying, this doesn't sound, this doesn't sound like God. Why? Because I had heard words of God um, or godly words in my life. I was able to filter out ungodly words. I say that because you have words that are spoken over your life. And when other words are being spoken in other situations, may they be filtered through the word of God. You will know God's mind through his words. And so when people speak things over, you can say, that doesn't sound like God. And now I have to choose. Am I going to be reliant on you or am I going to be reliant on God? And I remember in that moment, I said, I am, I am not going to work for this guy. In that moment, I said, God, I, I give it to you. I need a job here. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not, I'm not living under this. I walk out his door. My phone starts ringing. And a guy called me. I pick up. He said, um, hey, I've got your uh, application that you submitted seven months ago for this job over here at the YMCA. That's right attached to your dorm room. You don't need a car. You walk 20 feet. Uh, I know we told you hey, we have no openings. I just had an opening. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I say this to say, this custodian wasn't my, I I wasn't reliant on him. He's my boss, but he's not my God. And as something's happening, I pray you have a filter through which you can say, this is ungodly. So I'm going to pray for the godly. I'm going to seek out the godly. I'm going to trust in the godly. We are church God-reliant. Not man-reliant, not stock market-reliant, not economy-reliant, not self-reliant, not good works-reliant. We are God-reliant, and God's Word will give you God's mind, and God's mind will lead you. Amen? Is this helping you? Is this too much content? One more point. The third thing that I see in David's life, so powerful, made him such a man of God, Through all his failures, his ups and downs, something kept constant in his life, kept him connected to the presence of God, was David honored the house of God. He loved the house of God. He planned for the house of God. He got the money together for the house of God. He architected the house of God. He took Jerusalem just so he could build the house of God in Jerusalem. David's whole life, his whole theme was about God's presence. In fact, as soon as David established his kingdom, do you know what he did? He said, right away, let's go get the ark of God. Let's bring it back into Jerusalem. This was a man who was God first in all that he did. And he said, I'm not going to lead without God's presence. I'm not going to live without God's presence. You know, the ark of the covenant was where the presence of God resided. And that's the Old Testament. The New Testament is you are the Ark of the Covenant, and the presence of God resides in you. But remember when David screwed up, he said to the Lord, God, don't remove your spirit from me. I cannot live without your spirit. Hear me. You are the new Ark of the Covenant, but I pray that you pursue the presence in the spirit of God, that you would pray like David, God, not only don't remove your spirit from me, give me more. On Sunday during worship, I pray that the Holy Spirit gets more room in your life. When you come to the altar, you move some stuff out of your life, 
to give God more room in your life. You are the Ark of the Covenant. And David said, I'm not going to lead unless the Ark of the Covenant is in the city I'm leading. Why? Because he understood that where the presence of the Lord is, there's blessing. Every time where the presence of the Lord is, there's blessing. In fact, the first time he tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant, I think you, you know the story. I preached on it a couple months ago. Uh, they, they brought it all the way up to the Obed-Edom's house. But the man that didn't honor the ark, when the oxen stumbled, he put his hand out. He was struck dead because the presence of God is holy. And, and so they left the ark right where it, it fell at Obed-Edom's house. But months later, everyone's starting to talk. And they're saying, have you seen Obed- Obed-Edom's house? This dude's blessed. All of a sudden, the house is blessed. The Bible says the household is blessed, not just the man but the family, everyone that was connected to the family, everyone that was working for the family, it was all blessed. Why? Because when the presence of God comes into the house, the whole house is blessed. You and I have access to the presence of God, and we can have the presence of God in our house. Do you know that your house has a presence? Your house has a presence. Sometimes you could walk into houses and sense a presence. Sometimes you could walk into different um, locations and sense a presence. Some people's houses have a spirit of anger, a presence of anger. Some people's houses has a presence of divorce or a presence of violence or a presence of apathy or a presence of addiction. But can I tell you, you are called, you are chosen, you are set apart not to have any of those presences reigning in your life but that your house will be filled by the presence of God. And when people walk in, there is a spirit of love and joy and peace and calmness. Amen? David knew this. David knew this. So he said, I'm gonna get the house, I'm gonna get the ark of God out of that guy's house. Hey, I love it, I'm for it, I'm glad he's been blessed, but I'm bringing it into Jerusalem so that all the people could be blessed. The picture of the house of God. It's a picture of the house of God. When you bring the presence so that all the people can be blessed. And and let me just say this in closing. When you are present in God's house, God's presence comes into your house. When you are present in God's house, God's presence comes into your house. And you may say, well, I can't be a Christian without going to church. Can I answer that honestly? Maybe, maybe. I didn't get into heaven but I don't think your faith will be vibrant. I don't think it will be living and active and faith-filled. God says, I will establish my church, my house. I say this to say, you can have a relationship with Jesus without the church, but if you do have a relationship with Jesus, it will bring you to the church. Amen? It's his bride. And I just want to confirm what you're doing right now. You're here on a Sunday morning honoring God's house. God sees it. God knows it. I believe God's going to honor your house. And I would even challenge you to double down in what you're doing. You are more than a church goer. You are a servant of the king. You're part of the A-team. You're part of a crew. Servant We Heart Lives. You're coming down to the altar. You're praying for others. Your children are going to children's church. Let me tell you, you are more than a church goer. Honor the house of the Lord. And God will honor your house. When you put your hand to building his house, he'll build your house. 
I, ha- I had a verse in here. I didn't include it, but, but you know, at the end of David's life, God says to David, he says, um, your son is going to be the one that physically builds the house, house of God. But because of who you are and all that you've done for me, he said, your house will be established in my presence forever. And we know that Jesus came from the house of David forever. I pray that my house is established in the presence of God forever. I pray your house, your children, children's children are established in the house of God forever. But what does that mean? That means we are more than churchgoers. We are servants of the Lord. We are active participants. I want to even charge the men of this house. You are priests of your home. I want to charge you to lead the way into church. Your wife shouldn't be the one dragging you into church. Your kids shouldn't be the ones dragging you into church. That if they don't say it, we don't go. That's not you. Now you are a David. You are a church builder. You love the house of God, the people of God, the worshipers. You're involving your talents and your mind and your strength. And, and that's what David did, and, and therefore David was blessed. I, I got to tell you, I've, I've been going to church a long time. I grew up in it. I went to Christian schools and Christian colleges and in, uh, internships, and I've been to a lot of different churches. And can I tell you, I've seen a constant. I've seen a constant. The people that are just faithful in the house of God end up raising children that are radically different than the world. Now you say, well, these people are special. They're just normal people. They have their issues. They have their ups and downs. But if they stay faithful in the house of God, the presence that's in their house is not one of divorce. If I could just give you the stats of divorce in this church, I'm not saying it never happens, but I am saying it very rarely happens. I wish I could give you this. I wish I could visualize it. The stats of divorce plummet the longer you stay in the house of God. The stats of domestic violence plummets the longer you stay in the house of God. The stats of addiction plummet the longer you stay in the house of God. We say, I've only been here a month and I still have issues. You're going to have issues for a long period of time. But can I tell you, the longer you stay in the house of God, even your issues will change. They will change. Amen. I pray that like David, we love the house of God, we think about the house of God, that we stay active in the house of God, and that through that God stays living and active, present in our house, exemplified in our lives, in our minds, in our marriages. I pray that you do not look like the world, think like the world, talk like the world, and that your children don't grow up looking like the world. I pray you are radically different, and the difference starts at the house of the Lord. Amen. Three things that I see David do very well in his life. He chose to be unoffendable even through all of the hurt. Second thing that we see in David's life, what, what is it? What was it? God reliant. I haven't slept in a couple weeks. <laughs> he was God reliant. That's not good if the pastor can't remember. Write these things down. <laughs> Write them down. <laughs> God-reliant in his mind, in his words, and in his actions. And the third thing is that he loved the house of God. He built it. He was committed to it. He was present in it. I believe if you can put those three things into your life, I'm telling you, 
10 years from now, you are gonna have a radically different life, a radically different life than those around you. Principles of personal leadership. And I believe that um, if, if you do that, we do this together, God can build a very strong and mighty church, which is what he promised to do. He's gonna establish us and the gates of hell will not conquer us, amen? Amen. This is leadership that God looks for and God loves, and I hope he finds it in us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you, God, for speaking to us, your people, and I thank you, God, that right now in this moment that this word is going deep into our hearts. I pray, God, that if there is any infection of offense right now, reveal it, cleanse it, and God, I pray you give us the desire that our actions become that of people that will not be offended, but that solely throw ourselves towards you over and over. We keep coming back to you, your word, your church, your altar, for we love the house of God. And I pray, God, through this, you raise strong men and women, strong marriages, strong families for generations, God, that your house is honored, that our houses are blessed, that we look radically different from the world, Lord God, that we look like you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.